peppermint schnapps, or Jägermeister? Who makes the best schnitzel, mom or grandma? And waxing poetic about pickled herring. This week, we're talking with author and podcaster Rick Kempfer. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is the show where we explore the world's best cuisine at DestinationEatDrink.com and at the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This time, we're having some great German food with guest Rick Kempfer. But first, if you've been enjoying Destination Eat Drink, support the show with a small contribution. It's super easy. Just go to DestinationEatDrink.com, click on the Contribute button, and thank you very much. This week, we're talking with author and podcaster Rick Kempfer. Rick is an award-winning author who's written eight books, and his third novel, Back in the DDR, is being released today. It's a coming-of-age story wrapped in a Cold War spy novel, and I think it's his best book yet. And that's a pretty high bar to clear since I've enjoyed all of his work. Rick's also a podcaster. One of his shows, Minutia Men, which he hosts with Dave Stern, is a personal favorite of mine. I listen every single week. Now, much of Rick's latest book takes place in Germany and Austria, as well as behind the Iron Curtain in places like Yugoslavia. The main character is a 13-year-old boy named Rudy, who just happens to love food. He's also an American kid who sometimes has trouble adapting to some of the strange foods he encounters in old world Europe. So Rick and I talk about some of the food in the book, as well as some of his personal favorite foods. And he spills the beans on who makes the best schnitzel and some of his favorite treats in German bakeries. Plus, we visit the beer halls of Munich for gigantic steins of beer. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Rick Kemper, welcome back to Destination, Eat, Drink. This is your fifth time on this podcast. You're in the five-timers club now. <laughs> and before you ask, no, you don't get a jacket with a crest on it. Uh, that was my first question. I was hoping for a blazer of some kind. <laughs> I know you're a blazer guy. Uh, Rick, your new novel is out today. It's called Back in the DDR, and it's sort of inspired by your unusual childhood. Tell everyone about it. Give us a thumbnail. Well, all right. So I was uh, born uh, in Chicago, um, but my parents were both German immigrants. And so we grew up in a part of Chicago that um, English was not required. And so when I was sent to school, uh, kindergarten, uh, first grade, I, that's where I learned English in America. So as, as you can imagine, it was a rather uh, uh, difficult uh, transition for me to become like an American boy. And then in fifth grade, my dad comes home one day and says, we're moving back to Germany, which I had never lived in Germany, but now the family was moving back because he worked for the government. And uh, so we moved, we lived in Frankfurt and we lived in Heidelberg. And uh, 
I had no idea about all the different things that were going on there, the the political tension, the uh, the violence that was going on through the terrorists, uh, the the communists, the East Germans, all that stuff. Uh, I had no idea about any of that and uh, was kind of just thrown into the pile. And so that is my that is kind of the journey of this main character of this book. Main character's name is Rudy. He's a kid, uh, what, 12 years old, which would have been the same age as you in 1975, 76. Um, and, and that's when this takes place. We should clarify, that's when this takes place in 1976, mostly. And, you know, this is a time when the Iron Curtain still existed. The Berlin Wall still existed. Germany was split in two. Berlin was split in two. Yeah. For anyone who has been to Berlin since the wall came down, um, it's pretty hard to explain what it was like uh, back in those days. It was the scariest place on earth, as far as I'm concerned. Now, I'm telling you this from a 13-year-old's perspective, but um, West Berlin was like vibrant color, and then going into East Berlin was like going to black and white. I mean, the country had uh, really not rebuilt since the end of the war. Uh, the communists had not put any money into uh, rebuilding East Germany. So it was just a shambles compared to the uh, the beautiful West Germans. And there were Russian soldiers everywhere. There were spies and, and you know, Stasi agents. And, and all of that comes into play in the book. And I've only been to Berlin well after the wall came down and I was just struck by you walk down the street and they mark where the wall used to be. And you're like, okay, I step on this side. I would have been in West Berlin. I step on this side. I would have been in East Berlin, but it's not that simple because there was a no man's land between the two. And you, you know, you get on the wrong side, you know, you try to get on the other side and you very well could get uh, shot and killed or, you know, whatever uh, bad stuff happens. Right. Yeah, you know that big, uh, the Brandenburg Gate is a famous uh, tourist destination in, in Berlin. And it, it's, a, you know, Roman columns. And on top of the Roman columns is a chariot. And it's just, a, you know, it's a grand gate to uh, East Berlin. And back in the, uh, back in the days of uh, the wall, it was a, a gate to nowhere because the gate, on the other side of the gate was the Berlin Wall. It was just ridiculous. Hard to imagine what it must have been like for the West Berliners because West Berlin was in the middle of East Germany. So it was surrounded by East Germany. And so uh, it had a very strange culture. Yeah, that's the thing. I didn't, I didn't really fully understand how isolated West Berlin was till I really looked at an old map of East Germany and West Germany. I'm like, wait a minute. This is like right in Berlin is right in the middle of East Germany. Yet there's this little island of West Germany in there. They must have felt completely isolated and cut off from the rest of the world. They must have. And you remember the Berlin airlift uh, in 1948 uh, is when the Americans uh, flew in supplies to West Berlin because the Russians realized that they had West Berlin in the middle of East Germany and tried to take it over. Um, and so, I mean, there was always tension there. 
You know, uh, getting back to your book, uh, back in the DDR, one of my favorite things, uh, I mentioned the main character is Rudy. He's a 12, 13-year-old boy. Uh, he's just a kid, right? But he's living in this grown-up world that you've just described very nicely, this uh, East and West um, friction that was going on. And I just love the way that you depict his relationship with his parents, because Rudy's at that age, you know, he's 12, he's 13 years old, and your life just revolves around these things that you think matter so much in your world. Meanwhile, your parents, uh, in this case in the book, are dealing with real life and death issues. And the, the other thing that I really like about the character Rudy is how you depict how one minute your parents can be your biggest enemies in the whole wide world— and the next minute, you love them more than anything else. Uh, I just wanted to point that out and say how well done I thought you made that aspect of the book. Thank you. Um, and, you know, that's reality for kids of that age. The hardest part of, the, of writing this book was, um, because it's a first-person uh, delivery, it, it was writing it as a 13-year-old so that the 13-year-old is not necessarily catching everything that is going on around it, but the reader is. And that was very hard to accomplish, and um, that was something that I worked very hard on. I think mission accomplished because I've, I've read the book cover to cover twice now. And the first time I read it, I felt kind of like Rudy in that there were things that were kind of pointed out in the book, but that I didn't fully understand or catch until I read it the second time. And that didn't make the first read any less enjoyable. It just meant there was kind of an aha moment at the end. Then when I read through it the second time, I think I got even more out of it because I was like, oh, here's where Rick put this little nugget in here that I should have caught the first time that I missed. <laughs> Bad on me for not, for not picking up on that. Yeah, there's the, so read it carefully, folks. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most entertaining scenes in the book is when uh, Rudy and his parents and his sister watch the 1976 European Cup semifinal between Yugoslavia and West Germany. Now, um, not being a soccer fan, I don't I, I assume that that was a real event that happened. Um, and you put it in a crazy bar in Yugoslavia. That's where you, the setting is, where these uh, where this family watches the game. Um was that based on a true story? I think it was. I think you uh, you said that in the epilogue of the book, that that was based on a true event. Yes, that really happened. Um, it, was, uh, it was in a little town in Yugoslavia. There was only one television in the entire town, and it was in this bar. And uh, just to give you an idea of what kind of times they were living in, they... Uh, they didn't normally allow women in the bar. And this was in 1976, <laughs> you know. Um, but my mom and sister were allowed to go in along with uh, myself and my brother. But it was a um, it was a very tense game. The Yugoslavs took took control early. And what shocked us was after every goal, they threw their glasses against the wall. You not not their their reading glasses, the glasses that they were drinking out of, and there were smashed glass <laughs> everywhere. It was insane. 
screaming and crying and hugging. And then when the Germans scored, it was the same thing except anger. <laughs> it, was a, it was a scene I will never forget. Oh, my goodness. And uh, who ended up winning that game? West Germany won that game, right? West Germany um, won the game, and then they lost in the yeah. finals to the uh, Czechoslovakia, okay. another country that no longer exists. Now, Rick, you know that I love foodie novels. Um I love them. I love them so much. I wrote my own. <laughs> um, and and there's a lot of food in your novel back in the DDR. L- let's start with one of the most important German dishes of all, schnitzel. Schnitzel is in your book. In your book, Oma, uh, Rudy's grandmother, makes schnitzel. So uh, did your grandmother or, you, or does your mother uh, today make schnitzel? How's their schnitzel? Who makes the best schnitzel? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad they don't listen to this, but uh, so I will. I can be honest. My grandmother, my dad's mother, made the best schnitzel in history. It was that was just perfect. It was the, the breading was perfect. The 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 uh, slice of meat was perfect. It was just amazing. My mother also makes a very good schnitzel. In fact, my son uh, Tommy, my eldest son. He uh, goes to dinner at her house once a week for her schnitzel. Oh, wow. Even now. So that's how good it is. Now, I have uh, tried to make it myself. I consider myself a bit of a cook, and I cannot do it. It, There's something about the breading that they're doing that I have not figured out. It tastes similar, but it's not quite as good. So let me ask you this about the recipe itself. Um, is your mother unwilling to share the recipe or can you just not get it quite right? Cause those are two different things, Rick. Yeah. She shared it with me, but I just can't get it right. I, I don't know. She's there's something that she's not telling me or she's doesn't realize <laughs> that she does. You know what I mean? There's some step in there. I'm going to just have to go over there and, and, and sit with her while and watch her do it. I think. Yes, sit over her shoulder and watch her do it. Because this is famous in Italian families. I've also heard about this in Portuguese families where it's like there's a secret recipe and mom, in some cases even dad, like my girlfriend's father who's Italian, uh, he would not share his uh, sauce, his marinara recipe with his own daughter. <laughs> and I was like, and, and I, I, he was holding out. I think he was holding out, you know, in, you know, he's like, well, I'll tell her right before I die. And it's like, right. I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened <laughs> with my mom and my grandmother. There's, there's a flaw in that plan though. <laughs> well, know? I know, but my, I know that's true, but it, I think it worked out with my grandmother and my mom because that was her mother-in-law. Okay. And so uh, she wanted to be the one that had the best schnitzel until the very end. (laughs) And my mom's schnitzel wasn't as good until after my Oma died, and now it's much better. So I think she did get a little uh, tip. Oh, my God. All right. So there you go. Grandparents, parents, write it down at least. If you're not going to share it, write it down. Put it in an envelope where someone's going to find it. Oh, my God. Put it in the will. Um. In your book, uh, Rudy's uncle gives him some schnapps. Again, yeah. he's 12, 12 or 13 years old. Um, Rick, did you have a – you're in Germany as a, as a young teenager. You must have had a schnapps experience. I know I had a schnapps experience as a, as a young person. So uh, you tell me your schnapps experience. What was it like? Well, it's probably different than yours because mine was 
was really given to me by my parents and my grandparents and my uncles and aunts. And, you know, it was just a thing that uh, if there was a celebration, there was a schnapps. You know, if it was somebody's birthday, everyone had a schnapps. It's still like that. My mom was, you know, I, I was uh, helping her out with something. Somebody showed up at 10 o'clock in the morning to deliver something. And and she said to him, would you like a schnapps? <laughs> and he looked at his watch and said, it's 10 in the morning. <laughs> well, she said, well, this is a special day. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so my schnapps, I never had one of those ralphing on schnapps moments in my life because it's been part of my life since i was a, a kid i did <laughs> it was my, my my first my first ever experience with like really drinking not like sneaking a little sip from your parents glass or you know getting yeah. a little taste of wine on christmas or something like that but actually drinking you know with with friends and it was i'll never forget it it was peppermint schnapps and uh you know that was 40 plus years ago and I have not touched peppermint schnapps since then and I don't know that I ever will. <laughs> well, you know, for me it's a Jägermeister. Okay. Uh so my bachelor party they they lined up 10 Jägermeisters for me. And you know, I was cocky because I have been drinking schnapps since I was a little kid. And I drank all 10, you know, boom 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 and that's pretty much the last <laughs> thing I remember. <laughs> Perfect. Um, speaking of uh, serving underage children alcohol, uh, you're also part of your book takes place in Munich. You can't go to Munich without visiting the beer halls. Uh, let's talk about those a little bit. Well, first of all, Rudy has a good time in, in the beer halls, I guess, right? Yeah. The, you know, the beer halls are not just for grownups in, uh, in Germany. They're you know, kids can drink beer too in Germany. That's not. There's nothing weird about it. It's a normal drink. Um, and the beer halls are in Munich. They're every one of the major uh, beers has their own beer garden or beer hall. You know, the Levenbräu. You can go to Polliner. You can go to uh, you know the Hofbräuhaus, um, Augustiner. They all have their own uh, beer gardens. And so uh, I had to include that in the book because that's that's such a big part of Germany and especially part of Munich. You can't go to Munich without going to one of those beer halls. And the Hofbräuhaus is the most famous one. That is a uh, That has been around for 100 years or more. In fact, I mentioned it in the book, but, uh, you know, Hitler's uh beer hall pushed was 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 there you know this the nazi party was formed there um it, you know not that they have any plaques up you know right right not really, not really proud of that but <laughs> there is a lot of history there is what i'm saying i've never been to munich i would love to go to one of these beer halls i mean there's beer halls in berlin and i've been to those and that's a lot of fun but it seems like the ones in munich and even some of the places in Munich, they've opened beer halls now in Berlin, and they're fun and everything. But I think in Munich, it would be uh, taking that experience to a whole new level. Just give me a thumbnail. What, what's it like when you go into one of these uh, beer halls in Munich? What's the atmosphere like? What, what do you do? What do you drink? What do you eat? So there are giant picnic tables. So um, you don't sit at a table like, uh, like a regular restaurant. 
um, long picnic tables and you um, just are mingling with other people. So you're, it's forced to, uh, you're forced to meet strangers, which is fun because it's such a tourist attraction. There are people from all over the world at this uh, place. I mean, you meet people from Denmark or Portugal or wherever they come to <laughs> Munich, they go to the beer halls and, and then you have a conversation and, you know, after a, a big beer or two, um, it's the, uh, the conversation is lubricated. And, uh, it, it, by the end of the night, you're having a good time. Uh, the food that they have there is really kind of secondary to the beer. Uh, they do have, you know, your, your traditional German food, like, uh, bratwurst and things like that, but you're really not there for the food. I see these pictures of these uh, women, it's usually women who are serving these, and they're holding steins of beer that are absolutely massive. I've never drunk a beer out of such a big mug as that. W what are those, like a, a liter or something, 33-ounce? Uh... Yeah, if you're, if you're starting your third one, make sure you have some, somebody to take you home <laughs> because <laughs> that, uh, it does have an effect on you. Those are... That's a lot of beer, but you're right about the waitresses. That's like, they, you don't want to get into a street fight with these ladies. They are strong. Each one of those give you an idea. When I had my first one, I was probably 16 or 17. I could barely hold it to drink it because it was that <laughs> heavy. And, and they've got four in each hand. Right. The other thing oh, is they man. all have bands playing, uh, you know, like German oompa bands. Oompa music, okay. There's a scene in my book where they're at the Hofra house, and it's on July 4th, and they're playing American songs, you know, and singing Happy Birthday to America. That's something that I actually witnessed once. I thought that was a very cool thing, that they realize the Americans are there, and they, you know, in their German accents, sing uh, You're a Grand Old Flag and stuff like that. <laughs> Good stuff. Let's talk about some of the food because we got to get some food in our belly before, after all this drinking. Um, in your book, there's a few dishes that you mention, and I'd like to go through a few of these because I'm not familiar with them. I, I thought I knew a fair amount of German food, but I guess not. Uh, one of the first things that uh, gets mentioned in the book is something called uh, Bratenfetten. Um, and and this sounds kind of gross. Tell me what Bratenfetten is, and do people still eat this? Well, it's basically cold gravy on toast, um, oh, and it is disgusting. Uh, I think people do still eat it, especially the uh, the older generations. Uh, you know, in real life, I was sent over to Austria a few months before we moved to Germany to learn German better because my German had apparently not uh, was not good enough for my parents at that point. So I was shocked by some of the things that they served me. There, there was an, another thing called uh, Boischel that is like the the lungs and spleen, and uh, it, mm. it was just disgusting. I mean, I it was one of the it was 12, 13 years old. I would just look at it and go, yeah, I'm not hungry. <laughs> you know, there was no <laughs> chance. Have you ever seen head cheese? All those organ-type meats are just, oh, man. Yeah. And there are places now, 
Like you'll see places in it. There are places all over Europe that are trying to bring this stuff back as, uh, you know, sort of uh, traditional cuisine. And it's, yeah, no. Sometimes we can evolve away from those things. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about a couple other, a couple other kinds of meats that you talk about in the book. One is called uh, rouladen. Yes. This is one of my mom's specialties. Rouladen is a, it's like a beef uh, steak rolled um, and there has like a stuffing inside, you know, like um, some sort of filling of bacon. And my mom puts uh, onion, bacon, uh, pickles, and uh, rice inside. Oh, okay. The whole thing is a meal, basically. So you get a slab of that and it's the whole thing. You got the meat surrounding all these all these other things. Always with gravy. And what about uh, Schweinbraten? Uh, Schweinebraten is... Uh, Schweinebraten. Yes. It's roast okay. pork, basically. And how's your mom's uh, Schweinebraten? Pretty good. I'm biased. You know, I've grown up with this stuff. But I was also a, a really picky eater when I was a kid. So the ones that I still like to this day, uh, with a few exceptions, are, are pretty mainstream and delicious. And, you know, as I was reading your book, Rick, you and I have known each other for quite a while. And so I, I kind of I know a few of the things that you like. And so it really brought a smile to my face when there was a part of the book where you just gushed nonstop about pickled herring. And I said, yes. I said, if Rick's going to write about food, I know that pickled herring is going to make an appearance at some point. Anyone who's listened to your I, podcast, Minutia Men, knows that you love pickled herring. I love pickled herring, and everybody else thinks that it's completely disgusting. In fact, I, I get it now, uh, not, not only because I still love it, but because it so disgusts my kids. They are so disgusted by it. And, that, you know, I enjoy when they're disgusted. So <laughs> brings a smile um, to my face. So, you know, there's, there's also something to be said when you're the only one in the house that likes one particular thing because yeah. you don't have to worry about opening up the refrigerator and like, who ate all my pickled herring? That's right. That has that, never that happened to me. That'll, that'll, that'll never be a phrase you'll ever say. That, that's true. But in Germany, they sell uh, they sell these things called fish semmels, and that's actually in the book, which is a pickled herring sandwich, uh, basically on a, a like a Kaiser roll, and they serve it with uh, onions and uh, and pickles. And I know that sounds disgusting, but uh, it's not. You should try it. Hey man, whatever trips your trigger, that's all cool. Fly your flag, <laughs> march, march down the middle of Main Street with your pickled herring flag, but just know you're probably going to be by yourself. So <laughs> that's probably true. All right, let, let's get into something that's more uh, universally beloved, and that's uh, desserts: uh, the the strawberry tort and yes. the uh, obst tort. Um, tell me about these two because. When you were talking about these, I was like, that sounds freaking delicious. The bakeries in Germany are just amazing. And, then, and that pretty much goes for the entire country. Anywhere you go, if, you, if there's a Bäckerei, that's a B-A-K-E-R-E-I. If you see that going there, just the smell of it 
is amazing. And they they sell these torts. Uh, Erdbeer tort is a uh, strawberry. Ops tort means uh, fruit uh, tort. So it's the top of the, it has like a cake base. And on the top of it is this fruit that has a gelatin uh, holding it together. And it is so delicious. Whatever kind of uh, fruit you have, it's all fresh fruit. It's not uh, frozen. It is insane. Sounds magnificent. And it must look wonderful in the display case. I can imagine this uh, brightly colored fruit on top of a tort. It must look great when you walk into the uh, bakery. What else do you like to get when you go into the bakery? Well, uh, they've got, you know, like any bakery, uh, you know, cookies and th things like that. But what I would go there for, uh, my mom sent me to get the Brechen or um, Semmels, the, which is the little Kaiser rolls. Uh, every day we get those, or at least every other day, because the, for one day they are the most delicious things in the world. And the next day they are hockey pucks. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to get them often, but it was worth it to go to the, the Becarai every day to, to pick those up because that's how delicious they are. The other thing that I wanted to talk about before I let you go is I know you grew up in Heidelberg. After you moved back from Chicago to Germany, you lived in Heidelberg. And I don't think Heidelberg is really on a lot of people's um bucket list of places that they want to go. You know, when you think of Germany, all right, we're going to go to Berlin. Maybe we're going to go to the Black Forest. We're going to go to Munich. Maybe some people go to some other places as well. But I think Heidelberg, probably not on the map. Um, what what can you say about Heidelberg? Why would this be a place where uh, people should go? Well, Heidelberg has uh, a beautiful castle uh, built on the side of a mountain. Um the Heidelberger Schloss. It is, uh, it's one of the most well-preserved castles in the world. And it, it was built from between 1300 and 1600. And it was burned in a war in the, in the mid 17th century, but it is uh, pretty well-preserved. You can go in my, actually my high school prom was held in that, <laughs> in that castle. Okay. Um, so they still have rooms there that they rent out and stuff. It's it's really beautiful. And also the whole downtown area, um, it's like going back in time. It's uh, the it's called the Hauptstrasse, and it's been there since the 1300s. It's uh, a uh, pedestrian zone, uh, you know, shopping zone along the Neckar River. It's just gorgeous. Um, and it's a university town. So there are a lot of young people there, uh, really vibrant uh, music scene and stuff like that. So uh, it's, it, it's a must-see if you go to Germany. It really is. Okay. You sold me, Rick. Um, Rick Kempfer, congratulations on your book, Back in the DDR. It's a great read. We'll have links to uh, where you can purchase a copy in the show notes. Uh, tell folks uh, also that uh, website before we let you go. So it's EckhartsPress.com, E-C-K-H-A-R-T-Z Press.com. And you can also find Brent's book at the same location. 
<laughs> yes, you can. Truffle Hunt is there. All right, Rick. And like I said, we'll have uh, links to that in the show notes so that people can pick up a copy. I, I give it my highest recommendation. It's, uh, it's really a great, great book. Rick, thanks for being on Destination Eat Drink for your fifth time. Look forward to having you back for number six sometime soon. I am expecting a blazer in the mail. Okay, there you go. I'm glad Rick is flying his flag for pickled herring because I certainly am not going to do so. Uh, Back in the DDR is available at Eckhart'sPress.com. We've got a link to that site as well as Rick's other appearances on the show in the show notes. Rick's been on Destination Eat Drink talking about Croatia, Slovenia, Ireland, as well as German food in Chicago. So you should check all those out. I've got links at radiomisfits.com slash DED208. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. I'm living here in Portugal. Of course, Portuguese don't celebrate Thanksgiving, but we have plenty of expats from the U.S. who do. So we didn't celebrate Thanksgiving night because we had language class. We have language class every Monday and Thursday. So Thanksgiving falls on a Thursday. But language class goes on in Portugal, so we're having our celebration tonight with some American friends. I hope you enjoyed yours. And if you're enjoying Destination Eat Drink, do me a favor and support the cause by going to DestinationEatDrink.com and clicking on the Contribute button. Thank you very much. And if you do go to DestinationEatDrink.com, I just posted a new story about Lisbon's famous Pastel de Belém. That's at DestinationEatDrink.com slash Belem. That's B-E-L-E-M. Or just go to DestinationEatDrink.com and click on the blog tab. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who pickles his herring in scotch, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.